Amen. <clears throat> the children are dismissed to Children's Church, and please open your Bibles to James chapter 2. James chapter 2. I do not have the scripture on the slides for you today, but we do provide these wonderful Bibles in front of you in the pews, and we are blessed, so blessed in United States of America to have Bibles just everywhere on our phones, on our tablets, on our computers. I don't know about you, but I have a number of Bibles in my office and at home, even a few stashed away in my cars probably. So please bring your Bible week after week. It is a great blessing. And it's a blessing not just to hide in your heart or to stow away in your car or in a closet, but a blessing to have with you. Open up to James. Again, we're continuing in this new series in James, a series in a book which has often been referred to as the Proverbs of the New Testament. It's full of wisdom for today. Short, quick, blunt, convicting, but encouraging, challenging sayings. And we continue in that today with looking to faith and works. We continue with a discussion we started last week. And I want to remind you that James here was writing to a scattered and confused people who needed unity. They needed to come together, and they would come together around the word of God. They would come together with this truth, which is a light to our path, a lamp for living righteously with God. Last week, we learned together that it's one thing to listen and receive the word, but it's another to act upon it. And that's what we're talking further today. We talked about how it's one thing to be willing. It's another thing to actually do. We must be doers. Christians must be a people of action. To be living God's best isn't just to read the word, to study the word, but to be constantly being doers of the word, putting it into action. This has drawn the attention of many people throughout the ages, the idea of faith and works. Nothing new is here, nothing new under the sun. I'd like to bring your attention to a few more quotes this morning to help with this before we dive into the word of God here. Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, faith without works is not faith at all, but simple lack of obedience to God. Let me repeat that. Faith without works is not faith at all, but a simple lack of obedience to God. Charles Spurgeon said, faith and works are bound up in the same bundle. He that obeys God trusts God, and he that trusts God obeys God. He that is without faith is without works, and he that is without works is without faith. I found a couple more last night that I wanted to share. John Calvin said, a person who calls himself a Christian and makes no effort to live the sanctified life has no right to the name. Another one, Jesus didn't die for us so that we could continue treating people the way people treated him. And then finally, one more before we go to the word. C.S. Lewis once said, and we'll come back to this later in the sermon as well. Regarding this great debate of faith and works, which was obviously debated in that day, because that's why James is bringing attention to this. And that's also seen today, too, in the churches. He said, regarding the debate about faith and works, it's like asking which blade in a pair of scissors is most important. You need both. There should be both. <coughs> 
Excuse me, let's read together. James 2, starting at 14 to 26. What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? Now, I'd like to stop there just momentarily to say, to point out, this is not a simple need. This is a dire need. It's like seeing somebody on the street completely naked or withering away with no food, with no water, thirsting. It's like walking through the desert <coughs> and seeing a guy without water and then just saying in our today's terms, what's up? How's it going? But then keep on walking. What James refers to here was a common Jewish saying. Go in peace, be warm and filled. But at this time, what they truly need is, is a provision of which they had the ability to give. <clears throat> Let's read on. Verse 17 says, So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and not by faith alone. And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also apart from works is dead faith. <coughs> Thank you for following along. Believe it or not, I actually feel really good. Just some, for some reason, I have no voice today. And the lack of sleep last night didn't really help. Before I go into the message, I'll say for those who have been praying and paying attention, Christy did make it to Ohio, um, well, at about 3 or 4 a.m. Christy, my wife's mother, had a pretty bad heart attack yesterday and actually had coded once and was brought back to life, had four stints. She's in observation now and doing well, but keep her in prayer. But um, you can imagine if your wife's traveling through the night, how well you sleep on a 12-hour drive alone. But let's get back to the scripture here. In this passage, James is as if conversing with an imaginary man, using this as an illustration for the readers of that day, the Jerusalem church, how we are to be living. <clears throat> Not simply claiming to have a face, but living out in that face, living a face in action. And throughout this scripture, he first defines what is true face, a live face to look like, and then we'll see several examples from history. First, actually, we'll see an imaginary example that he just comes up with as an illustration. But then he'll bring up people, heroes of the faith, who acted. And the point of this passage is this. True faith has action that follows. True faith has action that follows. If you're taking notes, you can, you can write that out. True faith has action that follows. Maybe you've heard it said before that man cannot be saved by works, but by faith alone. 
And this is most definitely true, but a true and saving faith, a Christ-like faith, is full of righteous action and a sanctified life which follows after that. Saving faith produces something. Maybe you can write that out as well. Saving faith produces something. What is your faith producing in your life? If we read through all the heroes of the faith listed in Hebrews 11, and then we look back to their scriptures, we generally do not see an act, a, a lazy faith, a slacking off faith. We, have, we see a face of action, a face of works, a faith which followed after God, even when it meant doing hard things. Which brings us to ask ourselves, do we have works following ourselves, our faith, our life? We can ask ourselves, we can look to ourselves as we took communion today. We can look to that day, which first of all, I should ask you all, can you picture a moment in time when you truly said, Lord, please forgive me of my sins. Be my savior, be my Lord, and help me to live for you and you alone. Do you have that day? And then if you have that day, think about the next moment <coughs> or the next moments, I should say. How have you been living since? Could any person on the street and especially any person who you have a relationship with truly look to your life and know that you have a savior and that you are new, regenerated and not living for the world, not living for yourself, but living for the righteousness of God. This brings us to the first scripture here. And the first point, James 2.14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save him? It's apparent I'm going to have to walk around with this bottle of water today, so I apologize for this. This brings up the first point here that we're going to talk about. We're talking about a true and saving faith. The question of this discussion, the debate today that we're discussing, is the very thing that C.S. Lewis was bringing up when he shared that, that great quote. And James is going into great detail here to make sure that nobody has any question about what life in Christ should look like. For even the demons believe in Jesus, he says, and they shudder. They shudder, you see, even the demons believe, and they have a work that follows. They have an action, but they don't have a God-glorifying, righteous action, a sanctifying action, living in the ways of Christ, submitting to Christ's rule over their lives, and we are supposed to. Let me ask all of you, what good is at all is having faith in the world if it doesn't move us to action can a person truly live an inactive faith? That's what James is, is asking here. And this is what we should ask ourselves every day when we read the scriptures. We need to think first, what was the context that day? What is God describing here? And then we question ourselves that prescriptive versus descriptive. We talked about that last week, last week. Is God prescribing something for our lives? Is he trying to apply something to us and speak to us and show us that this is the way to live and we need to turn around and see the right way to live? But this is hard to consider, isn't it? Ephesians 2, 8 to 9 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 
But then James goes on and says, there must be works. What is the difference here? What is the difference? Well, let me help clarify this, starting with a quote by Pastor Tony Evans, which I found useful. He says this, I have it on the screen for you here. He says, Paul is speaking about how a sinner becomes a saint, while James is speaking about how a saint brings heaven to earth. Paul, in his scripture, is saying how you become a saint, how you become new, regenerated, redeemed. Whereas James is speaking to brothers and sisters in Christ, saying that if, you've have, if you have this newness, if you have this regenerated heart, this regenerated life, then this is how you live so that those around us can see the very hope which we profess. You see, we're not saved by works. Let me repeat that. We are not saved by good works, but to good works. Let me say that once more. We are not saved by good works, but to good works. And once you're saved, the righteous action of a transformed heart, mind, and life should follow. Jesus himself gives us some divine insights here. In Matthew 7, 15 to 20, part of the Sermon on the Mount, which as Chuck said, we're starting a new Sunday school in a, the Life Studies group. We're going to spend eight weeks looking to the Beatitudes specifically and how to live a blessed life. And largely despite being meek, despite being weak, despite being persecuted or lonely or struggling, how do we live a blessed life? Well, look to this description here. Matthew 7, 15 to 20 says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruits. He goes on to describe this further and says, Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can he, a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you'll recognize them by their fruits. Let me repeat that again. You'll recognize them by their fruits. What an amazing, convicting, yet challenging and encouraging, depending on how you live and who you follow scripture to think about. You'll recognize them by their fruit. This shows us that those who trust in Christ, those who are already this saint that, that Tony Evans speaks of, should be bringing a little bit of heaven to earth in how we live. They should be able to see Christ-like living, righteous living, sanctified living, a regenerated newness of life. One pastor stated, while we are not, as Jesus says earlier in Matthew chapter 7, supposed to be judging others, we are invited in a way to be fruit inspectors. It says to be recognizing them by their fruits. Said another way, we can expect there will be fruit from the life of the one who's following Jesus. This is convicting. This is blunt. This is hard stuff to hear because we need to look to our life and say, do people see fruit? In us. And is it fruit that's ready and white ripe for the picking? Is it fruit that's abundant? Best example I can give to this is raspberries. 
Did anybody grow up with a grandparent, an aunt, an uncle, a friend, somebody who when you were a kid, you just loved going out on the trail and finding those raspberry bushes because it seemed like they just sprouted in abundance and the raspberries were all over. And anybody who needed that morsel of, of, of delightfulness could pick from it. Maybe it's a silly illustration, but I think about that from our life with the fruit we have. I don't know if that's considered a fruit. Is it a fruit? Thank you. Said yet another way here. If you look at a tree with apples hanging from its limbs, you know it's an apple tree. You see what is on the outside, and it helps you to know what's on the inside. But also, as you think about that illustration, know this. Not every tree produces the same way. Not every tree produces the same type of fruit. And not every tree produces fruit at the same time or in the same abundance. But the fact is still true. People should be able to see evidence of our faith. They should be able to see a life-producing fruit. So we ask ourselves, what fruit do you bring to the table? For your coworkers to see, for your families to see, for your children to see, for your spouses to see. I say lots of ideas because I think we all need convicted in some way to think about not just our closest friends. However, our closest friends, our loved ones, our spouses, our family, those coworkers who you spend more time with awake than your family, they should most definitely see the fruit. But if we are to go out into all the nations and spread the good news of Jesus Christ and make disciples, they also need to see the fruit. They need to see the hope that you have. And they see it through a regenerated way of living. Let's move forward. You see, it's not the works that save you, but rather once saved, the works that should follow. They go together. They're partners in life. One may also compare, I wrote down one last illustration. One may also compare faith to a root. Or a flower bulb that you plant in the ground. One of which new life comes from. And that new life, it doesn't stay contained in that bulb. It doesn't stay contained in that root. But it, it sprouts. And it digs itself. It forces itself through the dirt. Through the grass. And into a beautiful flower. A great, great tree. You know what's also interesting about that idea is that dirt, that grass, all those obstacles could be seen as struggles within our own lives. But that sprout, it still grows from that root. And what a great illustration to our faith. When we, when we encounter obstacles, struggles, testing of our faith, we too, through God's help, through righteous living, through looking him as the great provider of all things, he helps make sure that we keep on going upward. He gives us the strength to continue on. And through that strength, one day, all those will see that fruit and they'll see the fruit in you. Let's talk about James's examples he gives as we work towards closing. We still have a few minutes here, but point number two to consider is James's examples. And we have both bad and good we have both imaginary, just James coming up with this illustration, this idea, and then we have historical characters as well. Verses 15 to 16, we see him seeing or talking to someone, talking about someone in need. And one should note again, I spoke of this earlier, this was no mere simple need. It's not speaking of somebody who just wants a little 
a little tip to go off and buy some dessert. It's not speaking of somebody even who's at the gas station asking for some help filling his pump. It's talking about a life-threatening, life-or-death type of need, somebody who needs your help to continue to live. And James makes it personal as he's talking about somebody that we know personal, brothers, sisters in Christ, friends, family, people within the church. And he says, if you see this person in need, what good is it if we just give them good, warm fillings? James says, in the same way, in verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is, is dead. Last week, we spoke about this briefly as we looked to a football player, a professional athlete, and we said, what good is it if that professional NFL football player come up with their own name in your heads, he gets the ball thrown to him, perfect ball, and he catches it perfectly. The end zone's in sight. There's no defenders, nobody around him, but he just stands there. With the ball. He's not fulfilling his purpose at all. And that's the life of too many Christians today. We're having the ball thrown to us. But we're not living. We're not truly living. We're not walking forward in the newness of life we have. We're not producing fruit. Either A, because we're living disobediently to God. Or because B, we've never truly, truly become saved at all. We've never truly submitted to Christ as Lord. We just wanted what he could give. I have another story, an example here of sometimes things look dead when they're really not. There was this one time we went out fishing on a lake in Ohio called Rush Run. It was a deep lake, 45 feet. Oh, wait, that was deep to Ohio, not deep up here at all. But this lake was great to fish because we knew there were monster bass. There were monster musky of which we never caught. <clears throat> but this one time we're fishing, my brothers, me, my dad, even a good friend, Cody Beck, and we're, we're cruising in the boat along the shoreline and Cody all of a sudden spots this giant muskie just sitting on top of the water, laying on top of the water, presumably dead. Well, what do you think some 14, 15, 16-year-old kid's gonna say? He says, bud, Drive the boat over there and I'll pick it up out of the water and I'll take a picture so it can look like I caught it. Well, guess what? We drove the boat over there and we're about four feet away. He's about to reach over the boat to the edge to pick up this presumably dead fish. And you know what it did? It flopped all over the water, got them all wet, and it dove deep. How many of us are living that way? That's not how we are to live, James says. Last week, we said we must be doers of the word. James said it. Scripture said it. God said it through James. Doers of the word and not hearers only. And here he's saying, what good is it to have faith without works, without deeds? The two go together. James continues on in 18 saying, but someone will say you have faith and I have works. Show me your face apart from your works, and I will show you my face by my works. There's always going to be those people wanting to engage in this argument one way or the other, but we must always go back to Scripture and know that there is one true and righteous way to live. James continues on in verse 19 saying, and we spoke of this earlier, but I want you to think about it again. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Even the demons believe. It's not enough to just believe. We must act. 
We must be submitting to Christ's rule and living out in faith to the ways, the righteous ways of God, the convictions of the Holy Spirit within us, and allowing the fruit which the Holy Spirit blesses us in our life with to be seen by all. And James, he gets fired up about this issue, and we should as well. In verse 20, he says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? And then he gives an example from Scripture. It wasn't enough to just give this imaginary idea. He wanted these Jewish people to see this strong illustration so that they could not argue anything. Maybe it's because the people were too comfortable in their life. They were too complacent. Maybe it's because they were living a lukewarm life or a cold life. Either way, we can apply it to our lives too. I do believe this is not just a descriptive scripture, but it's a prescriptive scripture for how we as Christians today, those who profess in Christ as Lord, as Savior, are to live. We must also not be living complacently, not lukewarm, not cold, not ready to be spit out by Christ, but one's ready and waiting to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. James says in 21 to 33, was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works and the scripture was fulfilled that says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness and he was called a friend of God. What a wonderful thing to think about, being called a friend of God. He had faith in action, and we too can and should have faith in action. We too can and should know that God sees us as his friend. But more than that, through Christ, we have an inheritance. We're seen as sons and daughters of God. <clears throat> we are all brothers and sisters in Christ I want to hear this. I want you to hear this. Faith and works are partners. They work together. Don't receive the argument, the debate of there's one and not the other. We should all have both. We are saved through our faith. But true faith has works which follow. We're making daily choices which honor Christ and which show the world the heaven that we're living for, the God that we serve the God which receives all the glory, the honor, and the power. The one true faith leads to the other works. Faith leads to action. As C.S. Lewis said, it's like trying to decide which blade on a pair of scissors is more important. You need both. Similarly, you can and should have both faith and action as a follower of Christ. Your works will flow from your faith, and your, your faith will grow as a result of your works. Abraham's life grew through his faith, I truly believe all of us living through the darkest moments of life continue to grow through the faith we continue to have and how we continue to live for his righteousness and his glory. Your troubles are not just for trouble's sake. Trials force us to lean into God and see that there is a greater purpose, a greater plan besides the today's plan of the world. So let's conclude. <coughs> You've probably heard faith is like a muscle, a more, and the more you exercise your faith, the stronger it becomes. But not of all of us are inclined to hear this or do it. Not naturally, at least. We need to be praying for God to help us every day. 
to live for him. In the midst of great suffering, in the midst of great pain, in the midst of great hardships and persecution, I may not be as close to all of you as what I'd like to be, but I do look across this congregation and know that many of you are struggling more than just a hoarse voice too. But I encourage you, continue to live with your faith in action for all to see that you have a true faith, a hopeful faith, one not focused upon your pains, but focused upon God's glory and the future hope that you have through Christ Jesus as Lord. James knew that these people needed to fight out their faith. They needed to continue to live strong and boldly in a world which was against them. And we need to do the same. Maybe they needed a reminder that faith without action is dead. Maybe you need that reminder again. We said, or also, we said earlier to analyze your life. How does it show Christ and the hope that we claim? How does your life profess? Then you're not worried. You're not worried because you have a sovereign, great, mighty God who loves and cares for you. You are alive in Christ. You're alive in Christ. I want you to say that with me. In fact, you can point at a neighbor if you like, make it awkward, and just say, you are alive in Christ. Say that again. You are alive in Christ, and now add to it. Now live. Live boldly with a faith in action. Live boldly. We're continuing to look to this, and this is the main theme for James. Maybe you've seen it already, that we must be doers of the word, not hearers only. We must be living with the hope that's within us clear for all to see, as Tony Evans said too, and comparing Romans to James, Paul to James. You are already a saint. You're believers in Christ. You trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. You're living regenerated, new lives. Let them see the heaven in you. Let them see the Christ in you. Live Christ-like, righteous lives and make choices which honor and glorify his word, which we have so clearly been blessed with today. Take this home. Take this challenge home to find ways this week to put your face in action. Don't get too comfortable. Don't get too complacent in your face. Allow yourselves to be, to be in situations where you have to have a little faith in God to get you through. Maybe it's that having that hard conversation with somebody who you've been you've been praying about or or knowing God's leading you to do. But whatever it is, remember this, the world is hungry for good news and you have the good news of Jesus. Share that news. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank for these truths. And although they're hard to hear at times, we pray that we would step up boldly in faith and live it out for all to see that our hope is not in this world. Our hope is in you, and you've already saved us. You've redeemed us, and we should be living for that now. Amen. Thank you for bearing with me. Let's stand and sing the blessing.
white mic. There we go. Thank you. As we go forward from here, I want to encourage you to continue to, to consider what is your fruit? How are you living righteously for God? What is that fruit of knowing that you truly are saved? Well, one should be you desire to be in the word of God. You desire to be in a constant relationship with him. You desire to be in prayer with him and communication with your father. And you desire to live righteously for him and his glory and not just for yourself and desires of the flesh. It doesn't mean that these things won't be hard. It doesn't, not at all, because we're still sinful creatures. But we've been redeemed. And we've been redeemed and set forth on a better way of living. We're regenerated. Live for him. One way you can do so is stick around for Sunday school. We'd love to see you stick around. We do have a new series in the Beatitudes and Life Studies group off the gym. We also have an adult study right here. You don't even have to go far. You can stay in the same seats you like or you're in for Larry Gosum's class. Uh, Lee McMenamin's class back in the old kitchen is on hold till he gets back from Florida. If you're upset about that, let me know you miss him. And then we have classes for all the kids and teens as well. One final reminder, please remember there's a mission trip meeting for the teens and their parents. If you're looking forward to a mission trip this summer, that will be following Sunday school. See Pastor Chuck for that. May God bless you as you serve him and live for him.